This podcast is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Learn more at nypl.org slash podcast. And to make sure you never miss an episode, find us and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Welcome to the New York Public Library podcast, where each week we bring you conversations with world-renowned authors, artists, and thinkers, recorded in front of a live audience in New York City. This week, we're delighted to welcome sports legend and businessman Shaquille O'Neal, whose 19-year basketball career made him a three-time finals MVP, a four-time NBA champion, and a 15-time All-Star. This fall, he comes to NYPL to celebrate the release of his new children's book, Little Shaq. In a fun and provocative conversation with NYPL's Paul Holdengraber, Shaq discusses reading, dunking, and the value of having a sense of humor. Is this water or alcohol? This is um, just vodka. checking. Vodka. 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 Okay, perfect. Vodka. Um, let's show images one and two. You'll see them right here. So this is the very beginning of your new collection, Little this, Shack. This book is a, a book for newly independent readers, kids from uh, six to eight. And uh, you know, I'm talking about my times in Newark, New Jersey, as a as a, a, a medium-level juvenile delinquent. I was very, very mischief, did a lot of things, had a lot of trials and tribulations, but every time I did something wrong, parents corrected me, and I was able to learn from that. So, you know, this book is, is the first of many. It was hard for me which ones to pick out first, but, you know, it's just a book for young kids to, you know, get them, get them going in, in the reading. You know, I... I kind of want to help children get back to the basics because I admit, you know, I have six children and a lot of times instead of letting my, my babies read, I give them the iPad and just tell them to flick through it. And I think it's a problem with that. You know, I think we need to go back to the basics. You know, reading is fundamental. It's fun. It helps children, you know, create their own destiny. You know, it, uh, it helps them to, you know, just to, you know, get things going. So... Uh, you know, I, I kind of want to get back to the basics and, you know, just help children have fun. You know, I, I want to be known as the doctor of fun. A, a, a doctor of fun. The doctor of fun. A doctor of fun. I like that. We'll, we'll, we'll get to your doctorate in a moment. Yes. But this is very interesting. But you, you say that you sometimes give your children an iPad. And the, and the, and the book, is in, in fact, begins with children who ruin a video game. Yeah, me and my cousin Barry, uh, you know, he was mad at me and, you know, we get to play this game, he gets upset, so we break the game. Now, you know, we break the game, we get in trouble. Uh, I couldn't really write in a book that I was going to get a spanking. You know, that's a whole different book. <laughs> but <laughs> we get in trouble and, you know, my parents did, a, did an unbelievable job in raising me, so instead of giving me stuff all the time, they would say, you got to go out and work it. So, Let's see, I cut grass, I did a lemonade stand one time, I'd take people's garbage out, i walk people's dog. And they did that just to show me, you know, that I'm getting older. You know, they did that and said, you know what, it's time for you to start becoming responsible. I'm not going to give you $20 for this game or $100 for a pair of sneakers, you got to go out and earn it. And that's what me and Barry did. You know, we started like a little gardening business and we raised the money. But instead of buying the game, you know, we gave the money to the community. Let's look at... Um 
image number two, so we see the next page. Yeah, this page is about me hogging the ball. <laughs> you know, Barry was open, it's five seconds on the clock. I'm like, if I give it to Barry, he, he gonna miss it, we gonna lose the game. So, I'm gonna take the shot, because so I know you, I'm gonna hit so it. Can you, can you explain to me what that means, hogging the ball? Hogging the ball means, it's, it means you're being selfish. And when you're on a team, if you want to win championships, you have to be unselfish. The great John Wooden said, the true definition of great players are the ones are the ones that make their teammates better. So, you know, Barry was open, but I was being selfish at, at, at the moment, and I wanted to hit the last shot, because I know I'm going to hit it, because I never miss. I don't even miss free throws. <laughs> I, never, I never miss a free throw in my life. So, you know, I was kind of being selfish at the moment, and he got kind of upset. And, you know, kind of, you know, you, you, you never want loved ones or friends, that, you know, to be upset, especially over something, something so minute. So I didn't pass on the ball, so I went home and tried to, you know, get them to like me. We started playing the video games and started arguing again and, you know. But what I, what I find surprising about Little Shack is that your parents in in the book as it's told there, which are maybe different from the parents you had in real life, we'll get to that in a moment, they say, go out and work, you do some gardening, you learn how to plant vegetables, you learn how to plant, how to put seeds into the ground, you make enough money, but the book, one would think that it would end with you doing what the money was going to permit you to do is to buy another video game. But that's not what turned, what happened. No, that's not, you know, my, my father was, a, a, was a, a great example of lead by example. Uh, and I always tell people this story. He gets some extra money and he, he comes to the house. So he say, let's go eat. Now when I say, let's go eat, I don't mean to sit down in a restaurant, I mean McDonald's. In this case, it's White Castle. So he gets six double cheese. I'm a big kid. I try to get six. I try to outdo him. So we got 12 double cheeseburgers, fries in the car, sodas. How many? 12. <laughs> we about to eat them all, but I couldn't eat them. He couldn't finish them. And on the way home, we see a guy with a sign, we'll work for food. So my father pulls over and gives this guy my cheeseburgers. And I'm like, yo, I'm going to eat them later. What are you doing? And he was like, son, if you, if, if you ever get in a position where you can help those in need, you should always do it. So that was the first story. Second story was my father was always my coach coming up. And every time one of my teammates got hurt, we'd have to go to the hospital and visit all the kids. So, you know, a lot of stuff that I was raised doing as a youngster, you know, is stuff that I do now. Let's, let's look at image number seven, if we could. Do you have these images memorized? <laughs> Man, you're smart. Well, I wow. I'm, I'm glad you think so. <laughs> um, image number seven, that, that is a, must be a, a, a meaningful image for you because in many ways also your father was a tough guy. Yes, my father was an army drill sergeant. He was a disciplinarian, but you know, he taught me well enough to where me and my cousins or me and my family members could work things out. And, you know, especially when I got like 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, because remember, I wasn't your average 9-year-old. At 9 years old, I was like 6'1", six, 6'2", six, size 12, size 13 shoes. So he's like, since you look like a man, you got to start acting like a man. 
So you know, he let us, you know, work things out, trials and tribulation. And so you were six foot two when you were twelve. Six foot two when I was twelve, and was the worst basketball player on earth. <laughs> It's terrible. How would your father have reacted if you had broken a video game? You got a belt? I can show you. <laughs> I don't think you want to see it. <laughs> I don't think you want to see that one. Um, let's look at video number one, if we could. January 5th, Bill made a promise. What's that? <laughs> He joined the army, we moved to Fort Mama. Okay. He disciplined me right from the get-go. H2 bottle in my mouth, she killed, let go. Acting spoiled, rotten, tripping. Got a butt whipping because I didn't listen. Back then, you see, privates made no bucks. You had to get another job, driving trucks. Working hard as hell didn't satisfy him. Had to get another job, working at the gym. He wasn't gone with the wind like Clark Gable. Worked all them jobs to put food on the table. Feels my father, daddy, and that's the scoop. Can I go to the gym with you and shoot some hoop? Come on, he put me under his wing. Was the ball boy for his local army team. Sometimes he even made me mad But that didn't matter cause I still wanna be like dad But a little bit better Encouraged me to stay in school And to get them good letters I wasn't a brainiac but I tried hard Got to watch the Knicks play If I had a good report card All types, all sorts Disobeyed my dad and I couldn't play sports I learned to dribble from right to left I couldn't do a damn thing with all them F's Age 15, father and son confrontation. That's nothing but father, son, trials and tribulations. Back then I couldn't understand, but I'm glad he did it, cause now I'm a man. He took me from a boy to a man so fearless, my father, cause my biological didn't bother. How'd you find that video? Jeez, no, I was old. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm fortunate enough to have. They got everything in this library. Yeah, got, got, got. Man. What, what, what effect did it have on you seeing this just now? What went through your head? I mean, it, it's, it have, affects me a lot. Uh, my biological father left when I was two years old. And two. What, two years old. That's why I, I respect Phil so much. Uh, met me and my mother when I was two took care of me and, uh, you know, taught me everything I know. You know, I told a kid the other day, kid asked me, he said, you know, he, you know, he didn't want to talk about sports. You know, he wanted to talk about money, which is cool. I, I talked to my kids and like the kid had my whole life. He said, yo, how'd you make so much money? And I thought about the answer and it was the simplest answer in the world. I listened to my mommy and daddy. That's it. Period. And it's true. Like I, you know, I listened to my parents and And uh, that's it. I mean, like, you know, I wasn't one of those guys that, that made a 2100 on the SAT. Like, I, you know, like, barely passed the SAT uh, to get in. But, you know, once I, you know, found my, 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 my style and my niche, you know, it became much easier for me. But, But you say in, in, in this video you wanted to be like your father. Yeah, because, you know, he, he was the man. You know, he was responsible. Uh, he took care of his children, he took care of other people's children, he never complained, he worked hard. And 
You know, when I was a terrible basketball player, people always used to tell me you're going to be in the Army like your dad. So, so when you're coming from, from Newark, New Jersey, and then you move to, to Georgia and San Antonio, and you have a house, I was like, well, this life ain't that bad. Only bad thing is getting up at 6.30 in the morning and marching around. But other than that, it's not a bad life. So I actually, before I started playing basketball, I was actually really content on just, you know, making it through high school and then just joining the Army. As a rapper, you worked with Biggie Smalls. Yes. Tell me about that experience. What you know about Biggie Smalls, huh? I know. You know. I, I you like know, this guy. I, I, I got to come to the library more often and hang out with yeah, you. You know what? I like this guy. I, I, I think you should come more often. Yeah, I, I want know, you to. I will. You know, I, 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 um, I sort of had the same kind of question from, from I interviewed Jay-Z on this stage. and. Wow. And I knew very little, but he, he didn't you know, tell... Please. One of the things my parents told me is to follow your dreams. So, you know, as a youngster, you have a lot of dreams. So when I was coming up, it was Fat Boys, Big Daddy Kane, LL Cool J. So I used to be sitting in the house, and I'd see him, and I'd be like, man, I want to do that one day. Then I'd see Dr. J and, you know, Patrick Ewing and all those guys. I'm like, man, I want to do that one day. Then I see Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'm like, man, I want to do that one day. So for me, doing rap albums wasn't about me being a rapper. It was about me continuing to follow my dreams and get, you know, getting a chance to rock out with my favorite artists. And that was what it was about. But, but Biggie was phenomenal. He was the, uh, the, the only guy I seen didn't write his stuff down. Him and uh, uh, Jay-Z. Biggie did it first and then Jay-Z did it. Like... Are you still in touch with Jay-Z? Yeah, I saw him. I saw him a couple of weeks ago. I, uh, when I did the song with Biggie, I did my verse three weeks in advance because I was very nervous. Like, I didn't want to, like, have him come watch me and then I mess up. And then he said, that's terrible. I'm not doing it. So, like, I went over mine a million times till it was right. And he heard it one time. He was like, okay, I like it. I like it. So I gave him a pen and a pad. He was like, I don't need that. And he went in and he, he killed it. He destroyed it. I want to go back in time and go back to the, the years you spent in Germany. What memories remain from, what, what was the name? Wildflecken. Wildflecken, West Germany. Yeah. When I first went, I hated my father for taking me out of the country. But, you know, as I, you know, and I'm going to probably mention him a lot, my mother and father a lot, but what that did was, It taught me how to deal with all types of people. You take a guy from Newark, New Jersey, move him to Hinesville, Georgia, from Hinesville to Germany, from Germany to San Antonio, San Antonio to Louisiana. You learn how to deal with all types of people. So I thank him for that. But, you know, when I got to Germany, I was able to focus on my craft. Because I lived on an army base. It wasn't a lot of, wasn't a lot of juvenile delinquent activities going on. Because you mess around in Germany, And the police eye, get on your butt, it's all over. So on the base, you know, you go to, go to the gym, go to the store, go home. And when it snowed, the snow was so high, like, we, we missed school for, like, weeks at a time. So my father ran the gym. So I would have to go up there and help him clean the gym after that. But I would just get my basketball and, you know, just, just practice, practice, practice. And one day... After being cut as a freshman, I'm sitting there, I'm down, I'm like, I'm not going to play basketball, I'm, I'm going I'm to I'm join the Army. My father runs in the house and says, hey, it's his coach. 
He's going to talk. Maybe you can get a scholarship. So I, I meet Dale Brown, and Dale Brown's talking to everybody. And I'm the sorry kid on, on the base. So I wait till everybody leave because I didn't want to talk to him in front of everybody. And I said, Coach, can you uh, send me something on, on how to strengthen my lower extremities? See, when I got into trouble, my father would make me read out the dictionary. And luckily, I was on, on E that day. And, and <laughs> I, No, seriously, true story. And extremities was a word that I came across. So I, was, so I asked Coach, I said, can you uh, uh, give me something to, to help me strengthen my lower extremities? And he looked at me and he said, uh, how long have you been in the Army, soldier? I was like, I'm not in the Army. I'm only 13. You know. Yeah. And this dude went crazy like he just struck oil. 13? Where's your father? Like, you know, he was trying to hide me. Where's your father? So he'd have a conversation with my father, and he would write me letters every week until I ended up in San Antonio. Then when I came back to the States and became a highly recruited athlete, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go to LSU because this guy offered me a scholarship when I wasn't the Shaq. And that's why I chose LSU. Let's look at image number three, just to Yeah, you go to with remember. your images There, there again. I go with my images. Yeah. There he is. I don't believe I had hair. <laughs> I got some waves, too. Hey. That's because I got Indian in my family. <laughs> I got that good hair. You don't know nothing about that. <laughs> what, did you, what did you learn, would you say, most from Dale Brown? My father looked him in the eye and said, hey, you, you, you're taking my baby boy, protect him. And Dale Brown, you know, Dale Brown's a guy, he's not scared of anybody. He grabbed my, my father and he said, I'll, I'll treat him like he's my own son. And he did. I seen this guy go on the court and punch another kid. Well, I don't want to say kid. He touched another player in the face accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> the statute of limitations might not be up, so I don't want to... Snitches get stitches. I don't want to be up here telling too much. Do you, uh, quickly back to Germany, and then we'll move forward. Do you speak any German? The only words I knew in, in German, because I used to cut grass again, is Brauchen Sie Hilfe bitte. That means, do you need, do you any, need help? any help, yes. please? Yes, yeah, so like, you know, I would have to go up to these guys, and they would look at me, and I was like, do you know any help? And they was like, what? So then I had to ask somebody, and then, Brauchen Sie Hilfe bitte? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They would show me what to do, yeah. But I love the German food, though. What, 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 what in particular? Palm Fritz, Bratwurst, Currywurst, Rheinswurst. How many, bra how many, how many Bratwurst would you have? I mean, oh, like four. Four? Yeah, four. Wielschnicken. <laughs> Oktoberfest was, was nice, too, with it at the beer festival. Not that I drink beer. No. I, would just, no. I would just see everybody else drinking. <laughs> <laughs> um... Something everybody wants to know. Do you, do you remember your first dunk? My first real dunk? Yeah. My first real dunk was at an outside park in San Antonio. Okay, the first real dunk outside or in a game? Both. Because I mean, there's two answers. Okay, my first real dunk was at an outside park. A kid made me mad, so I went up and dunked it. But I, I never had the confidence to dunk in the game. So my junior year, I think I had like 40-something points. So I do a smooth move, and I come down the lane, I finger roll it, and I miss. My father jumps on the court and calls a timeout. Timeout. I'm like, I can't call a timeout. I'm in the game. Call a timeout. I'm going to beat your ass. Timeout. <laughs> timeout. 
Excuse my language, little kids. I'm just trying to. It's okay. Yes. It really is. So, so I, uh, so he, he, he takes me outside the gym. He said, what are you doing? I was like, man, I'm working on my Dr. J. And he grabs me by my door. He said, there ain't no more Dr. J's. You got to be Shaq. Start dunking the ball or else. And like, I was just so upset that he did that. He embarrassed me. And I just started dunking and I can't stop now. So, so um, another question I had. Dunking, which is a word I'm, I'm really just learning. Right. Um, it's addictive. Yes, it is. Because what would you compare it to in other parts of life? I would compare it to being a kung fu master. <laughs> and let me tell you why, because like when I used to dunk and look at opponents, they used to be like, they used to be real scared. So I used to get my knees up and try to kick them in the face. Touch them in the face, excuse me. No, but like, you know, the opponents would be real, real scared. So I just, you know, I, I just kept dunking. In high school, you were already a celebrity in some way. And um, did, you, did you like being a celebrity? I mean, do you... My, I mean, team, my teammates taught me a valuable lesson about being a celebrity. You know, when I first, you know, going from a, a sorry kid or a terrible kid to the number one player in the country at such a fast pace, it could kind of get to you. So I didn't really have a lot of people skills, so... When I was uh, getting those articles, I would start to believe them. I would start to isolate everybody else. So I went to a small high school, 298 uh, kids, 9 through 12, 39, graduating class, senior. So like, really? I, I was starting to become so arrogant that, and, and this was like a three-day process to bring me back down to earth. Day one, I would walk on one side of the school and the whole school would just shift, like And like, they wouldn't look at me, they wouldn't talk to me. And I'm, so me, I'm a joke, so ha <laughs> this is funny, let it go. Day two, I go to the cafeteria, I sit down, the whole cafeteria empties out. Ha <laughs> funny, still laughing. Day three, uh, we get to practice and some guys are down there shooting. So as soon as I go down there and shoot, they run back. And we did that for like, you know, five, five straight times. And finally I said, okay, what's the problem? And I said, listen, man, you didn't get 35 and 0 by yourself. If you, wanna, if you wanna act like God, we'll treat you like God. And I kind of realized that I was wrong. I was a little arrogant. Cause I was, you know, like when, you, when you're from the projects and you wake up and you see your name on the front of the paper in your picture, that just does something to you. You start, you know, you just start getting like, what's up boy? You know, you just, you just, it, it, it just did something to me. So I was starting to believe how, how good I was. But it taught me a lesson to always remain humble. But yeah, that was about to say. Yes. So the, Sarge, ever, the Sarge taught you also not yes. to feel entitled. Ever since then, I've been, I've been very, very humble and very thankful. Beautiful. You looked like you wanted to kiss me or something like that. You just, there's a lot of space there. You was like, do you, do you know? You know, it's it's funny. It's funny. You should yeah. say that. Um, I'll tell you why. On this stage in another part of the library, I had the pleasure of interviewing RuPaul. And um, at Ru one moment he looked at me. And RuPaul is beautiful. And no, but no, but, he really is. But, like but his, let, his let me tell. Let, let, 
He's beautiful, and I looked at him, and he has incredible eyes, incredible freckles. He had an incredible scarf. I mean, he looked incredible, and I. All right. No, 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 no. Calm down. Wait, 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 wait. But wait, wait. Let me tell you what happened. So he he said to me at the beginning, you know, you're the interviewer. I'm the interviewee. I know your game. You want me to tell a pearl of wisdom, and I thought to myself, oh my goodness. This might be difficult because we're going to each be in each in uh, in a role. And then he looked at me, maybe the way I looked at you. He looked at me, and he said, "You know, you're beautiful." <laughs> and then the next thing he said is, "I'd like to kiss you." <laughs> and for nine seconds, nothing happened. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, "I'm really sorry for your restraint." Um, it's a moment that never happened. Anyway, I'm, this was my 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 Ru, my, my RuPaul moment. Yeah, <laughs> um, I knew it. Patron, um, I knew it. Um, you're often referred to as the most dominant player um, in the NBA. What do you think people mean by that? Well, to me, most dominant means you make people complain. You make people change the rules. You make people double and triple team. Because I knew I couldn't be the best. And especially with the word best being thrown around, I wanted to be different. I wanted to always be remembered. Like my father always used to say, make them remember your name. You have a unique name, but a name that's supposed to be in basketball heaven. And what he meant by that, like Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So like when he used to sit me in and say, Shaquille O'Neal, that, that, that name right there. But you have to go out and play in a way that will, where people will fear you and everybody will remember that name. And that's what I wanted to do. Kareem, um, I'd love to have him come to the library. And he may, you know, he's written a book now about Sherlock Holmes, how Sherlock Holmes and his brother influenced him, how reading detective novels had a, a big influence on him. Your relationship with Kareem, I'd like to know a little bit more about it, because in a way, whenever you, you wanted to, to see him, to meet him, he was away, and you didn't get to know him very well. Yeah, I didn't get to know him or Wilt Chamberlain. I, I don't really know the reason. Uh, but I thank them, because you know when I tried to meet him the first time, I uh, couldn't meet him. And then they asked him a question, what do you think about Shaq? And he said, Shaq's a great player, but until you win championships, you're not that great. So it kind of drove me to, to get more focused and start winning championships. But I have nothing but respect for Kareem. He's one of the greatest big men of our time. But, you know, I don't, I don't cry over spilt milk. When I see him, I'm cordial, I say hello, and that's it. You know, he has his reason for being the way he is. and I try not to judge people. Let's look at video number three, if we can. You go with your videos again. Give me your best. Let me see, let me see, let me see your best. <laughs> Is that all you got? Seven down in Orlando. Last game, Dennis Scott was starting. Bowie was coming off the bench as oh. he follows and almost and does bring down the entire oh. backboard. One we haven't seen. 
to go try and block someone else's shot, you're going to have Shaquille all over the glass on the rim. How strong is he? Well, I think this backboard company will attest to it. Right behind me is the new structure that they are rolling in. They are going to replace the entire structure because of the Shaq attack on the last rim. Hill puts it on the floor. And stops, and he brought it down! He brought the whole goal down! <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> well, I'm just glad he wasn't hurt that time. I mean, that thing came straight down. He I mean, brought the whole thing down. Oh, it broke off right on the, on the fence there, on the hinge there. Unbelievable. Oh, man. He's done it in Phoenix. He's done it in the biggest media market in the world. Look at this. Unbelievable. There was a foul on the play, too, but that's sort of incidental. Well, look, the foul was on Dwayne's, <laughs> so he'll get... But the problem is now, this is going to be another one of those 30, 40-minute delays, and when you have to get a plane, get back to Orlando. What does it feel like to do that? I know that I'm strong. You know how I was able to do that? Well, yeah. Would you like to know my secret? Frosted flakes and bananas. <laughs> That's it. Frosted flake, cut the bananas up, make sure the milk is extra cold. Boy, breakfast of champions. How many, how many servings? Two. Two. But the milk got to be real cold. So as soon as you go like this, you gotta go <laughs> real cold. Who was um, the best trash talker among your opponents? Me. <laughs> That's Gary Payton. A lot of guys talk trash, but you, you know, like you could say certain things, but the guys that went overboard were like the best trash talkers. Uh, best trash talkers. Like Gary Payton would talk about your mother. And he'd just, he'd just go on the whole game. Your mama looking at me. Your mama looking at me. He'd just, he'd just go on the whole game. I, I remember when, when uh, Mike Tyson was here, he, he did something we're going to do in a few minutes, is look at, look at one of, of his incredible uh, boxing matches and have him comment upon it. And he was talking about one of the ones where he wasn't in with Ali and he said, look at his lips. And you really, you really could see just to what extent Ali was trash talking to undo, to undo the opponent. Me and Mike almost fought one day. Like I'm, I was in a club and a guy hit me in my back so hard. Bow, and I turned around, it was Mike. I was like, oh, what's up, Mike? How you doing? Like, in my mind, I was like, I'm going to get ready to knock this dude out. Whoever it is, he just punched me. And I turned around, and it was Mike. I was like, what's up, boy? Nice to see you. Yeah. In my mind, I was going to fight him, but then when I turned around and saw him, all that switched up. <laughs> nice to see you, sir. I called him sir. Hey, sir. <laughs> all right. Another number. We, I want to see number, number two, please, of the videos. Sorry, a lot of, lot, of, lot of media here. I see that. Password. Don't fake the funk on a nasty dunk. ID? You're early, but I'm ready. Then prove it.
That's not enough. Oh, this must be a rookie thing or something. How did this come about? It was designed by me and written by me. Uh, I went to Reebok and they, they came with a terrible commercial. And I was like, I got something better. And we kept going back and forth. And then finally, the owner of Reebok said, all right, just do your commercial. I said, well, I'm gonna need about two million. Because I wanted to make sure those guys got, got a lot of uh, money, first of all. And second of all, everybody kept comparing me to those greats. I was like, I gotta do something and put them in it. I gotta let them know that, you know, that was then and this and now. So I was watching The Terminator, and that's where I got the special effects from. So I was like, okay, I wanna put that. I wanna come to the door, say something that all the kids are gonna remember. Dunk, break the glass, these guys make a face. I wanted to make it short and sweet. I think it was one of, the, one of the best commercials I did. I've always had the ability to be able to go and tell them what type of commercials I want to shoot. Where do you see yourself fitting among those extraordinary heroes? You know, those are, those are some great players, and I think it's not for me to decide. I think it's for the people to decide, but I don't know, one, two, or three. Um, <laughs> one of those numbers, I don't know. Are you, are you there you go with that look again. <laughs> Stop it. Are you, are you coaching now? Have I coached? Are you uh, co I coached my son's team a couple years. And uh, I was known as the Phil Jackson of Little League. And I coached my son when he was eight. And for some reason, him and his boys, they love Hooters. So one game we was down, I was like, listen, if you win this game, I'll take you to Hooters. And these guys start playing like NBA players. <laughs> Shooting threes, passes behind the back, and at work, and we won a championship, and I had to take them to Hooters. Let's, let's look at image number four. <laughs> what? That's Phil. That, yeah. That right there is probably Phil jumping on me. But. What do you think he's saying? Can you read? I don't know. He's probably saying something, but. You know, growing up with a, with a drill sergeant, I respond to that very well. You know, Phil always stayed on me and always made sure that, you know, I came to play every night because, you know, he promised to bring me a championship, multiple championships, so he's like, I'm gonna stay on you. And coaches that remind me of my father and Dale Brown, I respond well to that. So it's probably him saying something. But, you know, I realized at an early age, because my mother and father told me this, I know we're upset but don't listen to how I say it, just listen to what I say. So the reason why I'm not phased by his yelling and acting crazy because I'm not listening to how he said it, just listen to what he says. He's, I've, I've read now a, a, a lot of what Phil Jackson both said to players and his own memoirs. I mean, he's just extraordinary. What did- He's uh, different. <laughs> First day we met him, he comes in with incense and it smelled like cannabis to me <laughs> not that i know what cannabis smells like i'm not gonna give you a wink on that one <laughs> so he comes in with the sage so i asked myself phil i don't mean to be smart but it smells like cannabis so he proceeds to tell me that sage is the cousin of cannabis i was like what the hell does that mean so so like he'd, he'd be coming with the incense every day and then we have to meditate and then I asked him, I said, why are we doing this? He says, call Michael and ask him why are we doing it. 
So I get Michael on the phone and Mike says, I don't know why we're doing it, but it works. So I said, let me try it. And we did it every day. We were very consistent at smelling the cousin of cannabis, uh, going through our little chants, closing our eyes, and then it always worked. Did you buy into that? At first I didn't, but it, it started working. Like we'd go on 15 game win streaks, 10 game win streaks, and I was playing at a phenomenal pace. I, mean, he's I was playing at a high level. <laughs> Get it? I got it. Okay, I got it. I got it. it. I just, it I just, like this you guy. know, it just got to me. Yeah. But, um, and I, one of the things that, that was so interesting to me when I left Los Angeles, just before I left Los Angeles, I had wanted to invite Phil Jackson to come to, to a, a place where I was doing something similar to here. Well, at you were doing something similar with the incident. Yeah, uh -huh. it was the incident. And I wanted to invite Phil Jackson because I had read that he told his players to read all these incredible books. Yes. And it seemed to me like such an interesting technique. He does, would, does, he, does he still make yeah, he does. book he recommendations would, to you? And do you follow them? He only gave me one book. And he was able to look at a player, have a conversation with him, and then delegate a book to him. The book he, he gave me was Frederick Nietzsche. And I didn't read it. I went to cliffnotes.com. What, what book do you remember? Which book of no, Nietzsche? No, it was just no. something about Frederick Nietzsche. And what I realized about Frederick Nietzsche is that he was, so, he was so ahead of his time that people thought he was crazy. Like he did a lot of off-the-wall stuff. He's a very intelligent man, but since people were not ready for that, they thought he was crazy. And he's like, you need to read Frederick Nietzsche because you're all over the place. You're doing albums, you're doing movies, you're shooting Kazam, you're doing this, you're doing that. I want you to read this book. So it was a thick book, and I, you know, I, I got six babies, and I had a wife at the time. I'm like, I ain't got time. So did you try? Yeah, I tried to log into CliffNotes.com. <laughs> <laughs> and then you, you, um, at some point, I read you, you, you um, sort of baptized yourself as Aristotle. Yes, because uh, you know I've, I've always been fascinated with you know Aristotle, Socrates, guys that you know give give quotes. So when I received the MVP, I gave an Aristotle quote, and ever since then they've been calling me the Big Aristotle. The, what, the Aristotle quote was about habit, habit excellence, and excellence. Excellence is a singular act. You are what you repeatedly do. Something like that. Yeah, something like that. Um. I'll say it for you. Let's what, go to the next video. What, 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 is, um, what is so hard about shooting a free throw? I, I don't know. I shoot, I shoot 80%. I have no idea. You know, I think it was a way, honestly, I think it was a way to keep me humble. Because just think, that the way I played, just think if I had a beautiful Stephen Curry type shot. I really think I'd be a hard person to deal with. Because I was already averaging 40 with missing free throws. So imagine me averaging 50, 60. I'd probably be a very difficult man to deal with. But when I needed to hit them, I always hit them. Every time. I, uh, you know, sometimes it just wasn't my night. But like in a playoff situation, a championship situation, as many times I look in the stands at the opposing arena and guys got that little smile on their face like this guy, like, like Shaq's at the line, we're gonna win, all right. <laughs> I'll be like, oh, okay, buddy. And then I shoot it and I just leave it up there and look at him. 
but I, I, I never shot a high percentage. Just, you know, just, but I practice all the time. Practice all the time. But, you know, I think because of the practice, it gave me confidence to, like, when I really need to hit them, I hit them all the time. Shaq, now we're going to do something that is very special. To... <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, okay. no. It's not a RuPaul moment, okay. no. Um, we're going to do something very special uh, to it. me, which is we're going to watch something together for about five minutes without the sound, a very special game. And I want you to bring us back to that moment Try to get back into what you were thinking at that moment. This is June 4th, 2000 in Los Angeles. I want you to take us back to the Game 7 of the 2000 Conference Finals against the Portland Trailblazers. What you were thinking in that fourth quarter. And maybe, maybe you want to say something about, about that game before we, we watch those last five minutes. The very... The thing that touched me in that game, we were down like 15 in the fourth quarter, and I look over for Phil for a solution, and he had a no panic look on his face. So I was like, okay, if the general doesn't panic, troops don't need to panic. So at that time, I pulled the guys together, like, listen, we're going to win this game. Just, you know, just come back one, one basket at a time. Keep it going, keep it going, and it happened. Now, I'm going to ask you for five minutes of real attention. It's your turn to tell us whatever you'd like about this moment. The Put bomb, up the sound slightly. The bomb Scottie Pippen just passed the ball. I'm saying get that sh out of here. The bomb Scottie Pippen has it again. He fakes. He doesn't want to shoot. Rashad Wallace shoots. Out of bounds. We're starting to catch our momentum right now. The crowd's really getting back to the game. I think we're down at this point. But, you know, this is my, get that sh out of here. Don't, don't bring that weak, weak stuff in here. <laughs> and the crowd's going crazy. Well, okay, yeah, we're only down three now. We were down 15. We caught it back. 75-72. Yep. So bonus is on me. They double and triple because they're scared. I kick it out to B-Shaw. Whap them. That's the sound I make when it goes to the net. Say it. Whap him. Whap him. When the ball goes through the net, that's the sound. Say it. Whap him. Whap him. Oh, yeah, perfect. We're playing good defense right now. Sabonis has a shot. He doesn't want to take it. Gives it to Rashid. I double. He goes to the turnaround. Oh, we get the rebound. Foul. Oh, no timeout. Score 75, 75 now. We have all the momentum. Because we were up 3-1 in this series, and they came back and tied it. I'm getting my rest right now because I'm tired of killing them. I get a pick. Kobe throws it back to me. No, he doesn't. He shoots. <laughs> Come on, Kobe. Still mad that I didn't get to take that shot. <laughs> Playing good defense. See, right now we're, you know, we're feeling it. Oh, Kobe too little. Oh, Robert already too little down there. You know, right now we, we're now 15, brought it all the way back. And if you start to look at their eyes, like Sabonis right there, you can see the fear in their eyes. So 
And once I see that in a player, then I get to do this. Steve Javi. See, that's barbecue chicken now. Now, you know what that means, barbecue chicken. Paul, barbecue. Yeah. When a guy's on my back, that's barbecue chicken down there. Bobby. Barbecue. Barbecue chicken. Down there. Down. Say it. Barbecue chicken. No, you gotta say that's barbecue chicken down there. Barbecue chicken down there. Oh yeah. yeah. I like <laughs> you, brother. I like this I'm, man. Uh, I'm learning. See, right? Look, I'm averaging 27. Told you when I need to hit him, I'm gonna hit him <laughs> every time. That was all, that was yapum. It's Brian Grant to the game because of bonus five out. He can't play, so I don't have to stick him. See, he, he hit the side. Oh, save it. Oh, dribbling skills. <laughs> Pass it out. Glenn Rice. Give it back, Glenn. Let me touch it. Let me touch it. Let me touch it. Oh, he's too little. Barbecue chicken down there. Bye-bye. <laughs> barbecue chicken down the there. He's too little down there. That's right. Cry, Sabonis. Cry. And like, you know, throughout my career, I would always get to this point and lose. So when I looked at Phil and he wasn't panicked, I said, okay, I'm, I'm not losing tonight. Because it was always, yeah, Shaq, you're averaging this, you're averaging that, but you can't help your team get to the next level. So... You know, I was like, every time I get it, I got to make sure. And Phil hadn't given you any advice? No, he didn't say anything. What he said was, I'm not going to bail you guys out of this. Shh. Yeah. He said, I'm, I'm not going to bail you out. Figure it out. And he would just sit there, and we have to figure it out. I think it helped us grow as a team. Right now, I'm resting because I just scored the last two, and I hit a free throw. They're going to triple. Throw it back, Kobe. <sighs> Never mind. <laughs> but he got fouled, so good play. Say it, say it. A barbecue chicken now. Yeah. <laughs> got it. I think I'm going to say that quite often now. You got to say it right, though. That's. That. That's that's barbecue barbecue chicken chicken down there down there yeah down there D O N D A I R down there down there down yeah, there yeah there you go uh, barbecue chicken down there oh man God. awesome okay here we are in the last I think minute or two two minutes and a half now I think I know what's coming up the famous play like. This is as you can see, Kobe missed me on a couple passes. So I, I was telling him the whole time, like, hey, when you go to the lane, I'm open, I'm open. And this is the famous lob that will always go down in Laker history. It's coming up. After these free throws. Crowds in the game. Jack Nicholson's in the game. And as you can see, with those guys being up by 15, and without now is coming back, they're starting to get a little tight. Mike Dunleavy Jr. plays for the Bulls now. Why you turn the sound down? Turn it up. You can turn it up slightly. We want to hear you. 
Is this the play? No, I don't think it's the play. Coming down next. Oh, actually, this is the play. Nope. Oh, good shot, Kobe. I think it's coming up after this. This. Yeah, I think that's it right here. Yep. So as you can see, I'm already scooting to the basket. Throw it up, Kobe. Whoop. I just go get it. And I'm pointing to my son, who's three at the time. Before I left, he asked me to win. He's like, Daddy, can you win? And I promised him I would win. So when Kobe threw it up, I pointed up to him. Good pass, Kobe. So exciting. And Phil had given you no. no he, I mean, he that's said, what. Like, what, he, didn't, he didn't smile. He wasn't nervous. He wasn't yelling. Like, a lot of times when you see coaches yelling and grabbing the, in the clipboard, they got a little panic in them. But he was just sitting there, like. <laughs> do, do you think Phil Jackson can save the Knicks? <sighs> Actually, if they, if they buy into his philosophy, they could become a. A good team. What does that mean, if, if you can tell me a little bit? You more. know, like, because if you go back to all his championships, of course they had Jordan and Pippen, but a lot of others played, played you, know, you know, significant roles in, in, in them winning. Even with us, the Lakers, like, you know, you're always going to say me and Kobe, but we had B. Shaw and Big Shot Bob and Rick Fox. So if the guys just move the ball and utilize the offense, they could, be, they could become much better. What does it feel like to be in such a large body? It feels sexy. I, you know, like, I, like I look at all the, actually, I look at all the seven footers and I say I'm the best looking one, but they got one here tonight. This dude right here is beautiful. I might want to kiss him like you want to kiss me tonight. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like I, you know, I, I think I'm, I think I'm pretty handsome. It's, I, I mean, it, it's, it's fun. Only time I don't have fun is when I don't pay attention in hotel rooms and I hit yeah. my head. I no, I, I, I remember Rebecca Mead in the piece she did for for the New Yorker right. talks about the fact that yeah, when you go into a time. hotel room, you just can't find the shower head that's tall enough. Those are minor inconveniences. Yeah, but, you know, could be worse. But, like, sometimes when I don't pay attention, I hit my head right here. One time I thought, ooh, I thought I was paralyzed. I hit my head so hard. Like, I fell to the ground. Like, I couldn't move. I was like, damn. And I really start seeing those birds that you see in the cartoons. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, you, you mentioned cartoons. They, they, oh, I love cartoons. They matter to you so much. No? Tom and Jerry. Let's look hate. at image number six. That one, that one, yeah. <laughs> Tom and Jerry. Super, super bad, yeah. Matters to you a lot. Because that was the first movie I, I, I saw. And like, I had this white guy on my team, he was really fast. Like, so like, when I seen Superman racing the train, I was like, damn, white people are fast. 
<laughs> and then when I seen the guy fly, true story, when I seen him fly, I went and got a towel, put it on my neck, and I tried to jump off the roof. I down there broke both my legs. I was like, if he could do it, I could do it. Ah, boop. But I always used to love Superman. And for me, I think it makes a lot of sense because my name starts with S. My name was Jim. I wouldn't really be into Superman, but because it's the S and my name starts with S, it makes a lot of sense. But yeah, Superman, Tom and Jerry, Little Rascals, Good Times, Sanford and Son. Do you watch some of them still? I had to watch a lot of TV being on Punishment. I was on Punishment a lot. Are there, do you, do you feel there are misconceptions about big men? Yeah, there's a lot. When I was in college, marketing class, my junior year, I had to submit a project. So I, I came in, I, I gave the guy a Shaq shoe line. I put my face on a cereal box. I did, I did Shaq everything. And the guy gave me an F on a project. And he said, big guys don't sell. So I was determined to prove him wrong and prove everybody else wrong. And he made a lot of sense because there wasn't really a lot of big guys doing commercials. So. I just stole a little bit of what Jordan was doing, stole a little bit of what Magic was doing, and put some hot sauce on it, and, and just shacking it up a little bit. We're slowly going to wind down, but I'd, I'd love to read a quotation to you from Phil Jackson, Got it. which I love. Um, in one of his books, he wrote this about you. For all his bravado, Shaq is a very sensitive, fragile soul who appreciates any sign of tenderness. He's often mal maligned for his lack of durability, his unwillingness to play with severe physical discomfort. Yet the critics have no clue to what he must regularly overcome to compete at this level. Nobody can begin to understand what it must feel like to haul a 340-pound body around, stopping and starting, stopping and starting. Do you recognize yourself in this? Everything except the fragile part. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little sensitive, but you know, criticism to me, I, I turn it into motivation. It's just, you know, it just, I've been getting criticized all my life. I could take it, but it just turns me into motivation. Like, uh, let's foul him. He'll never hit the free throws. He'll never win championships. He'll never do this, never do that. It's like proving people wrong. But it's, it also, you know, helps me to, to work harder and stay more focused in the process. You trained for the police academy. Why? When I'm retired, retired, right now I'm just one retired. So when I retire, retire, I like to be a sheriff in a community. And I realize that when you're, when you're good in, in something and you try to be good in something else, if you don't have the same knowledge and the same training that they have, you probably won't get the respect. And I know that running for sheriff is a voting process and I could probably win being Shaq. But once I step into the organization, I want the troops to know and understand that I went through the training, I know what you know, and I'm serious about this. And yourself. it's complicated now yes. to be in the police academy because you've, you've arrested quite a few people who, yeah. when, they, when you arrest them, they think they're in some kind of a movie. Yeah, I do. <laughs> and I was undercover until you blew my spot. <laughs> no, but I, I went to three different police academies, and... Uh, 
Right now, I'm an internet crimes against children detective. Uh, you know, I go and I teach kids how not to give up information, and we make arrests all the time. But yeah, every now and then they they look at me and be like, "Am I am I on a TV show or something?" Do you do you still want to become a sheriff? Yes, I want to become sheriff somewhere in Florida, in the near future. So if you live in Florida, vote for Shaq. <laughs> in in closing, I want to talk about your education and, and your, recent, your recent work at um, continuing your education and graduating from LSU, uh, getting an MBA from the University of Phoenix, a PhD at Barry University in leadership and education with a specialization in human resource development. Now, Dr. O'Neill, why... Why, why this effort? Well, when why, I left... Why, why is education, in, in other words, so important to you? My parents always stressed education, being, being you know, when I was young. Uh, when I left LSU early, my mother would, would call me once a month, you going back to school, you going back to school. So finally, eight years later, I got my bachelor's at LSU. It's a proud moment, I got the degree. But see this guy over here, the little bald head white guy? He's my agent. So every time we go to meetings, like they, they say, hey, Shaq, and then they start talking to him about business. I was like, oh, these guys, these guys think I don't understand the language. That's when I went to the University of Phoenix, got my, my master's of business. And my mother also went back to school, and she got her master's at University of Phoenix also. So then, you know, me and her were sitting there talking, she says, son, you know we don't have any doctors in our family. Doctors? Yes, we don't have any doctors in our family. No MDs, no PhDs, no nothing. And I thought it was a way to set a good example for, for children, especially African-American children, especially my children, to just continue education. You know, my parents did an excellent job of, of scaring me. Like every time... Every time an athlete would go broke or somebody would go broke mismanaging money, that they would always throw that in my face. They'd always tell me, you know, you, you never want to be part of the negative statistics. And it's a true fact that 85% of all athletes when they're done playing have nothing, nothing at all. So I didn't want to be one of those one of people. Them. Yeah, I didn't want to be one of them. Plus I can, I got six kids. <laughs> no, but I... And I didn't wanted, want to be. But you wanted to get a, a yeah, doctorate. Yeah, just, I mean, because, you know, the crazy thing is I kind of struggled through high school. But then when I got to college and they break it down for me, I was like, okay, this is not so bad after all. I can do it. And then I can do it. And then doing my master's and, and the PhD. So now when I get back, I'm going to uh, prepare myself to take the, the LSAT and I'm thinking about going to law school. Um, and, you know... No, I, w I, was, I was impressed to, to find out about this PhD. I remember um, when, when, I, when I got one, first of all, my father was very unimpressed because there's already PH in my name, Paul Holdengraber, right? PH. So for five years just to get one D, he was not impressed by that and sort of pronounced the word PhD. And my mother, I remember, sent me a cartoon from The New Yorker where you see a man taking a maître d' taking a reservation and saying, is this for a medical doctor or a mere PhD? 
So my parents had that, you know, they, want, they always wanted me to do more and more and more. And your parents wanted you to do more and more and more and not give up. I want to talk about your dissertation for one moment. I, I found the title quite extraordinary. And I'd like you to tell us what it means. It's the title of your dissertation is The Duality of Humor and Aggression in leadership styles. I was anxious to see which leader was more effective, the humorous leader or the serious leader. And what I learned in my research is that no one person could be 100% one way. Uh, according to circumstances, we modulate however we modulate. So for me, I'm 70% humorous, 30% seriousness. Because like, when I looked at Steve Jobs, every time he talked about the iPhone, he was funny, he was great. But then when I went and inter interviewed some of his people at Apple, I said, no, he was 90% he was serious and 10% humorous. So you just have to modulate. And, you know, they're both effective in the, you know, short period of time, but in a longer period of time. You, you know, you, you do more when you, when you feel good about your work, when you're working for somebody that's humorous. But also find that, that a lot of people don't take humor the same way. Like in an office uh, space, I can't say a joke to a female that I can say to a, to a man. I can't say a, a certain joke about a religion. So you, you have to be careful when it comes to humor, but both humor and be, being serious, again, in, in the short term, is very, very effective. Do you think that in, in the profession you had, humor was not prevalent enough? Yeah, when I was the leader of, of, of all my teams, you, you know, we, we always had, you know, we always had time for fun, but when it comes time to get serious, especially like game time, we always got the busy. But after game, you know, if I, met, if I shot an air ball, we laugh about it, or, you know, we, we talk about people. And so it was all fun. Like, I, I just wanted to keep it lighthearted. I just wanted to keep it, keep it a fun space. We are expecting another sequel to this book? Yes, many more, because I got into a lot of trouble, so I got a lot to talk about. So we can talk again? Oh, of course. I love to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thank you, buddy. Thank Appreciate you. Right, thank, thank you. Shaquille O'Neal. Thanks for listening to the New York Public Library podcast. If you like what you hear, subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. And please leave us a review. It really helps us out a lot. You can follow NYPL on Twitter or Facebook and sign up for our newsletter at nypl.org.